everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of the Robin Report, and along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, who, by the way, is also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we heartily welcome you to our conversation on the topic of subscription models, high-tech and high-touch is it an oxymoron? So Shelley, um, I think this is really timely. I really believe that we are on the leading edge on this becoming a major issue, okay? Uh, question, is it still rapidly growing as it was and still an opportunity or is it waning, plateauing, so to speak, uh, among consumers or is there still a big opportunity for entrepreneurs uh, to jump on this uh, bandwagon. And by the way, <clears throat> before I get too deep into the woods, we're not talking about subscri uh, subscription models for commodity products, uh, kind of used on a daily or regular basis, like, I don't know, dog food, <laughs> razor blades, light bulb, and so forth. You get the idea. We're really talking about models such as uh, Stitch Fix, okay? And we'll use them as kind of an example. Uh, Stitch Fix is now, as most of you know, the, the publicly traded multi-billion dollar apparel fashion subscription model. And as I said, we're going to use as an example. And as always, um, Shelley has a lot of metrics on, on this model uh, that will provide us some of the make or break issues, if you will, and what the rest of the industry can learn from. And we will also get to that in a minute, um, but I just want to finish uh, putting uh, this discussion into some context so, so our listeners will have some clarity on uh, the conversation. Okay, the reason I laid out the notion high-tech, high-touch, is it an oxymoron? Well, first of all, the model takes the first step of a subscriber questionnaire, right? To learn everything they can about that subscriber. Relative, of course, to the particular products it will be sending to them on a monthly or, or other agreed upon schedule. So, so this is the high touch part, right? And then the model uses artificial intelligence and algorithms, uh, which is the high tech part uh, to create uh, supposedly, the perf personalized box of product mixes for the consumer to choose from. You know, the items they want to buy and the items they want to return. The question of this being an oxymoron is raised because can high-tech analytics alone really personalize the company's selection of the product mix to deliver on that uh, scheduled basis? Is that combo an oxymoron? And I say in some cases, yes, and in some cases, no. Uh, again, Stitch Fit, Stitch Fit Fix, <laughs> for example, hired several thousand stylists to elevate the high-touch personalization process. However, as an aside, early last year, they laid off about 1,400 of them to be replaced by stylists in lower cost of living cities. Then remaining 
rather than remaining in the San Francisco headquarters, which of course we all know is a very expensive place to live. And we'll, we, we will revisit this. So on the surface, it would appear to be a cost-saving move. And along the same time frame, by the way, they launched their quote-unquote freestyle strategy, which is opening their DTC business, which one does not have to subscribe to, essentially becoming an online retailer just like everybody else. And we will also come back to that move in, in a minute as well. So, Shelley, why don't you start us off with some research you have regarding um, this industry? Well, certainly, Robin. Hot off the press, and I mean literally today, hot off the press, a test, which is a SaaS consumer research company, released a report that shows the pandemic boon is finally starting to wear off for the U.S. subscription brands. And they also, uh, brands will have to work harder to win customers over in 2022. <laughs> so the new research found that 41% of Americans say they have an active product subscription as compared to 47% a year ago in 2020. So we see that's a bit of a drop. The survey talks about the downtrend of the subscription model and really highlights a decline in the number of consumers that are actively looking for new product subscriptions. So last year, customers out, consumers that were actually looking for new product subscriptions was 18% based on the survey. Today, it's 14%. And Americans are less likely to have multiple product subscriptions in 2021. So only 18% of those surveyed have more than one now compared to 21% last year. So interestingly, the number of people who say they have never had a product subscription has remained constant at 29%. So that really means that the subscription business isn't really been successful in pulling people over to that model. The top five category rankings for uh, product subscriptions are food and drink is number one, health and fitness, personal care is number two, uh, you mentioned this earlier uh, in your opener, pet products, which actually was ranked number five last year, has moved up to number three. <laughs> so people were adopting a lot of pets during the shutdown, right? It's adopting the pets and then getting the, the food and the supplies on a consistent basis, some of the utilitarian products, right? Yeah. And then we have uh, ranking number four is cosmetics and toiletries. And rank number five in the top five at the bottom is clothing, accessories, and shoes. That's good. So um, this is no big surprise uh, to either one of us when we read the survey data, and that's in terms of demographics, millennials aged 26 to 40. Can't believe the millennials turned 40 <laughs> this year, Robin. <laughs> yeah. well. But they are the most committed to product subscriptions with almost half of them having one or more product subscriptions. And another kind of interesting fun fact, and I promise this will be the last um, stat that I'm going to throw out at you, is that 32% <laughs> of Gen X, so Gen X is my generation, say they had a product uh, subscription in the past, but not now. And that kind of indicates to us that maybe this product subscription model has really failed to deliver value for the Gen Xers. And we're actually gonna talk about value in a couple minutes. 
Yeah, Shelly, <clears throat> there's really some good points in that research, and thanks for pulling them out. And believe me, I do not get bored with your metrics. <laughs> if you weren't involved with me, I certainly couldn't get to them. Anyway, um, so you can throw as many out there as you want. So, yeah, I guess the survey wasn't too surprising. Uh, the fact that the younger generation are, you know, obviously more amenable to this type of model. Uh, but the apparel sector, now on the bottom rung, again, what would Stitch Fix's take on this be? Uh, do you think uh, that maybe it drove them to reduce costs and rebuild their stylus base in lower-cost cities? And I think even more telling about the condition they may, may be in is the declining demand for apparel subscription services, which the research found, it is that what compelled them to open their quote-unquote freestyle strategy? Essentially, as I said, adding on a D2C business like everybody else. Well, I think the cost structure of Stitch Fix is what is driving its decision, like moving the stylist jobs to lower-cost cities. The decision, and more importantly, how the decision was communicated internally at the company is concerning since across the industry, there's this huge war on talent. So creating this gap of engagement with current workers is really not ideal for any company right now. And if the company who prides itself on its stylist has disengaged a high percent of these workers, Fitch Fitch probably has bigger issues. The yeah. whole the whole freestyle strategy may help actually gain customers that would otherwise not want to sign up for a subscription um, and actually can reduce the amount of returns. You know, the current subscription business model of only buying what you want to keep with a commodity that already has a really high return rate is a challenge. And we know over the past year, the cost of returns have grown along with the other elements of logistics and supply chain. Reverse logistics from a fashion product category that is not timeless is a challenge. So part of the success of Stitch Fix is getting the styles right with the customer so they return less. But if changes in a large portion of its workforce, the stylists, if there's big changes in this workforce, there's probably going to be a bit of a learning curve, which then leads to a gap of fluency between style selection and consumer satisfaction. Therefore, having customers pick their own products probably makes sense to fill this gap. Also, Robin, keep in mind that the new CEO, Elizabeth Spalding, who took over this year after the founder, Katrina Lake, had left, is a consultant turned president CEO of a fashion company. And you remember what happened when Silicon Valley thought they could easily be retailers in the early 90s. Right. <laughs> the biggest challenge facing Stitch Fix besides employee engagement is really kind of balancing out the stylist human touch with the algorithm. So the balance between data versus human touch. Yeah. And you know what, Shelly, I do love your last point about Silicon Valley. Um, and a little, the, the bit of arrogance out there, right? So what, being a retailer, like it's a slam dunk? Come on, guys. <laughs> But you're right. Um, so uh, I think, though, we have to uh, single out Apple because when you look at that model, <clears throat> you know, I would 
define it as more of an educational classroom, which is really kind of what they do there, rather than being a retailer. I mean, they are, but but anyway, I'm just sending them out because I don't think uh, they fall into the same, <clears throat> whole, you know, the same category as, as the rest of them out there. Anyway, so it's good to point out that the new CEO Spalding may have a larger challenge than she understands. You know, will her high-tech DNA miss the importance of more high-touch? We'll see. So the points about cutting costs moving and, and by moving stylists to lower-cost cities, it really, doesn't, it really doesn't compute for me. Yeah, I mean, they're going to cut some costs. And, but what does begins to compute for me is that the stylist model is not adding enough value to offset the subscription model cost. It's huge return costs. And what seems to be the beginning of this, the subscription model industry uh, going into decline. And also as they go to freestyle, they lose their differentiation. And as they lose the monthly or annual subscription fees, in my opinion, which are the lifeblood, lifeblood of the model, which maybe Stitch Fix is now admitting they are begin, beginning to see the cracks in that model. Well, Robin, let me add this point as well. If you think about the Stitch Fix model and what is happening with the consumer, there, there might be a wider disconnect between the two. For example, the subscription cost is a big deterrent for consumers, how much they have to pay for the subscription. And based on the recent survey, only 13%, 13% of those surveyed would purchase a product subscription that costs in excess of $50 per month. So with wow. Stitch Fix, there's the $20 fee plus the clothes you um, are, and if you add in the clothes that you're getting in the box, you're way over that $50 threshold. Right. And even if it's, you know, uh, not every month, but every few months, um, it's in, it would be interesting to know, you know, are most consumers willing to pay that amount? So what's the threshold that consumers are willing to pay? Over half the survey participants want a subscription that is actually less than $30 a month. So the other issue is the question whether Stitch Fix is a brand or a house of brands. Oh, boy, yeah, there's a couple of things there, Shelley. Um, yeah, Stitch Fix has a fee issue, you know, based on the numbers you just throw, throw out there. Um, and that's certainly another hurdle for them. But then add to that the challenge of, you know, quote, unquote, reading consumers' minds, so to speak, as to what they desire, but then putting a winning slam dunk, I love all of it together in a box. And how many times a year? You know, I say, whoa, I mean, this doesn't happen. So returns, 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 which, by the way, probably gets the consumer exhausted doing this over and over again. And the last point, <clears throat> I think, Shelly, is a big one. Stitch Fix, of course, you know, wants to be the dominant brand. Uh, which for many of their loyal customers, they, they, they probably are. But since they are, in fact, a house of brands, they may very well lose some consumers who 
find um, that a brand or two in the box are indeed hot or more trendy. So those subscriber, subscribers go directly to those brands who, by the way, have broader and deeper assortments. And how confusing will their freestyle strategy be with a hodgepodge of all of the brands they do business with? And should they go to a 100% private label strategy? Well, good luck with that. <laughs> they would likely lose all the subscribers who are actually loyal. And it means a huge re rebuilding of a new customer base, essentially. All in all, I it's not really a pretty picture. We have to look at, though, the motivations behind the subscription service, which, to be honest, varies by generation. But the top reasons for kind of all groups, although ordered differently by de de demographic, is, you know, it's delivered straight to the door. It provides yep, yep. a good value. And they purchase a subscription because they love a brand. Yep, I see that. And, and of course, the fashion apparel brands uh, can certainly, all of them can nail the first motivation, the thing, you know, about getting it right to their door. I don't know, but providing good value and creating a love for brand is more difficult in this category of business. I mean, consumers are more fickle when it comes to fashion. And as we have seen over the past year, the demand has been highly uncertain and unpredictable. And Shelley, I don't know, until the pandemic is totally gone, plus I think several months after that, consumer behavior, as we talked about before, will be impossible to predict. So I don't know. Shelley, what do you see about the future of, of, of this model? Well, I think in understanding the future of the subscription services uh, product model, I think we first have to kind of point out what turns the consumer off. And the number one thing that turns them off is price. They just can't afford it. A second reason that consumers get turned off from subs product subscriptions is the fear of getting locked in. And third, which is quite simply, they don't feel that they need what's being offered. So they you know, genuinely lack an interest in what's currently being offered in the marketplace. And I just wanna to touch upon this quite kind of mindset of fear of getting locked in because where that really comes from is from more traditional subscription services, digital content, streaming, gaming, uh, music. And what's happened in the past is consumers get locked into these um, and then they have a really tough time getting out. I know the FTC is now looking at ways to make it harder for companies to trap consumers. I really don't see a lot of this happening in the product, you know, apparel subscription models, but we have to keep in mind that consumers are just getting weary of these subscription models and they're kind of uh, experiencing subscription fatigue. Not necessarily, again, with retail product subscriptions, but overall subscriptions, entertainment, gaming, music. So I think some of this may weigh in on the mind of the consumer when shopping uh, subscriptions are encountered. Yeah. <clears throat> Does claustrophobia come to mind, Shelley, like locked in? <laughs> yeah. And after, you know, after a while, 
the same old, same old, you know, just kind of a so-so interest in what they're seeing over and over. In fact, one designer who will go unnamed uh, said to me that, you know, over time it gets very homogenous, boring. It's like, it's like designing a house by computer. Where's the imagination, the creativity, the innovation of, of a great architect, right? So I don't know, other than commodities like razor blades and dog food, I don't see a robust future for subscription models. Shelly, what do you well, think? Well, I, I think that retailers that do want to move forward with subscription services <clears throat> really have to realize a few key motivators for attracting and also retaining subscribers. Number one, product is key, product value. You have to have value in what you're offering. And I'm not talking about you know, placing products on discount. It means right. that the value of the subscription must be high, whether it's unique products, member pricing, early access. The second key is really easy to get out of it, super simple. And may, uh, retailers may want to consider allowing for pausing subscriptions for a period of time. That will help with retention. And the last piece is really exclusive or private label products that are comparable to brand names or that have enough value that causes consumers to switch from a branded product to a private label. So um, the blue ocean strategy or the blue ocean category rather for subscription, you ready for this, Robin? This is where, this is where the uh, lots of people can get into this market because there's not a lot in it. Alcohol and cannabis. <laughs> I'm not sure what this says about our state of mind today. But. Well, I'll tell you what it says to mine. Uh, personally, cannabis has not aged along with me, uh, but I have aged very well with alcohol. <laughs> anyway, uh, Shelly, your last few points are great suggestions for anybody in the sub-business and for newcomers as well. I mean, I think, think you hit on the most important points. And at the end of the day, if they can perfect personalization, the high touch part, enhanced by high tech, and with less costly returns, uh, you know, the model may very well have wheels. Yeah, I do want to give a shout out to our colleagues at Attest who have an audience over 110 million across 49 countries. Uh, they're the ones that gave us a lot of the survey data for today's podcast. So thank you for that. And of course, for our listeners, you can find more of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. Yeah, and I want to thank all of our listeners again. And um, also, I want to thank Attest as well for that great research. And lastly, like I do every Friday, um, for any of our listeners, if you have a topic that you would love Shelly and I to cover, please email me, robin at therobinreport.com. And thanks to all of you again.